the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Dave Ellswick Show, and I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave this morning here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Folks, as usual, we've got a lot to talk about, so we're going to dive right in. Uh, Chris Corbett is on his way in uh, to be part of the conversation. Uh, In the meantime, uh, sadly, you'll be stuck solely with my voice echoing through your radio. At this early morning, I count about six, uh, five minutes after six, actually seven minutes after six. Folks, every day, every day that I work, I work for the people of Arkansas, and I work to ensure that your rights are protected. Why? Because every day, every day, those rights are under attack. Here's the latest. A fellow goes in uh, to ASU, uh, Arkansas State University. They have an arena there, and they were holding an event, a business, uh, I think small business, but in any event, a business forum. I don't know the details, but I glean that you go there and they have booths and you can uh, learn about doing different things in business and maybe they have some lectures, this kind of thing. Sounds like a good good idea. I mean, what little I know about it. I don't know how well it was set up or not. I'm not suggesting it wasn't. Uh, My expectation is that it was a useful event. So this fellow goes over to ASU, goes over to this building, it's an arena, um, and, right, because it's a big event, like a convention center. And he goes over, and because licensed gun owners are some of the most law-abiding citizens in the country, he walks up to the security guard, and he tells the security guard, hey, I have a concealed carry license, in fact, the enhanced concealed carry license, the enhanced concealed carry license, that's the highest license you can have. There's two licenses in Arkansas, and that's the higher of the two. Uh, And he says, I want to uh, ensure that you are aware that I have the license, and if it's okay for me to come in. Now, to be clear, he knows what the law says, and the law says he's entitled to carry a gun in this facility. But that he knows it doesn't mean ASU knows it. Doesn't mean Arkansas State University knows it. Or, put another way, maybe they know it and they don't care. Right? We've seen this time and time again. 
Bureau hacks, ignoring the law, duly elected, uh, by, created by duly elected representatives in the legislature and signed by the governor. But pure hacks too often don't care. And when there are laws that are conservative laws, and I think it's fair to say that pro-gun laws are conservative laws, havens of liberalism push back. And environments of bureaucracy resist. As you know, I have three lawsuits in which I represent Chris Corbett, who's on his way in, against bureaucrats and leftists who refuse to recognize clear law entitling different citizens to carry guns in different environs. The first lawsuit is against the city of Little Rock. The law says that someone with an enhanced concealed license concealed carry license can carry a firearm in a city building for years the city resisted that put up a sign many years ago no guns allowed period end of story Bruce Moore who's deputy king of course Mayor Scott is King Scott so Bruce Moore who is the city manager by the way why do we have a city manager and then a mayor You know what mayor means? Manager. So you've got a manager and a manager. So you're paying 150 grand to one and what, 100 and something grand to the other. Boy, isn't that great? Isn't that great? So, last legislative session, I helped write the law that made it abundantly clear that someone can carry a concealed firearm in City Hall, meaning the prior law already allowed it, but they attempted a loophole. So instead of litigating the loophole, we changed the law. And I helped write that law. And yet City Hall persists in the view that they can do whatever they want. They literally say the law doesn't apply to us because, you know, we're the city. We get to make those choices. Wait, what? Folks, do you know that Cities only exist at the pleasure of the state, meaning cities are a a function of state creation. The state brought them into this world. The state can take away their charters. Period. Now, I'm not suggesting Little Rock Charter should be taken away. But if they continue to violate the law, maybe they should. Just We can have Pulaski County government. We don't need city of Little Rock government on top of Pulaski County government if city of Little Rock government ain't going to pay attention to the law. That's one lawsuit. Second lawsuit, Game and Fish. Game and Fish. You know, love this. Chris Corbett goes to the shooting range up there between here and um, Conway. In in Game and, uh, oh, run by Game and Fish. So he walks into the office because they charge you two dollars. So you got to pay your little tax. Okay, whatever. I'm not complaining about paying the two dollars. I don't care. So you pay your little tax. By the way, you can't put up a target that's even a silhouette of a human being. No, we don't allow that. Why? Why? Because they're going to tell you what's right and wrong. Right? They're going to they're going to just oh you know, we don't want you to do that. that's not that's not right it's not moral is it really really you you can't put up a a bottle shape target 
a bottle ship. Well, I said it looks too much like a human being. What? What? Why don't you keep your nose out of my business? So Chris tries to bring his concealed weapon into the office. They say, oh, no guns allowed. No guns allowed. He looks to the left. He looks to the right. It's a gun range, ain't it? Oh, yeah, it's a gun range. No guns allowed. They say it with a straight face, people. With a straight face. Welcome to the gun range. No guns allowed. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? To add insult to injury, all the guys working in the office, oh, they're wearing guns. They're carrying guns. Or nearly all, if not all. So the guys in the office can carry a gun, just you can't. Why? Because bureaucrats have one set of rules for themselves and another set of rules for you. Right? Right? This is a democracy, isn't it? Law says you can carry a gun in any government office. Game and Fish runs a cash register inside that building. You telling me that ain't a government office? They tried that a little bit and then they kind of abandoned it. I think they said it was a house. A house, really? Who lives there? Mm, nobody. Oh, where, the, where are the beds? Mm, nowhere. Showers? Mm, doesn't sound like a house to me. Right. You can call it a banana. It ain't a banana. It was like when Conan O'Brien was initially given the Tonight Show, and then they bumped him up because he wasn't doing well. They wanted to bump him up to midnight or so, midnight or back to twelve thirty. I can't remember exactly. And he said, "Well, my contract says I got the Tonight Show." He goes, "Oh well, we'll call it the Tonight Tonight Show." He said, "No, no, Tonight Show starts at eleven thirty. You bump it up to twelve, you can call it a banana, but it ain't the Tonight Show." That's the second lawsuit. The third lawsuit, separate law, says it, says that, um, what's the term? It's uh, officers of the court may carry guns in the courthouse. Well, lawyers are the definition of officers of the court. All of a sudden, the Pulaski County Sheriff Says, well, no, 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 no. That's not what that means. Really? Officers of the court means police officers. That's what it means, says uh, the county attorney. That means police officer? Isn't it funny? There's one term called police officer, and there's an entirely different term called officer of the court. So which is it? And then, by the way, the attorney for the county also said, well, see, officer of the court encompasses a lot more than attorneys. It's also stenographers and certain other people. And they cite some statutes that indicate that. Okay. Okay. Do you think that I am going to object if other people get to carry guns in the courthouse? It's not my business one way or the other in terms of this lawsuit. The lawsuit's about lawyers because my client's a lawyer. But if one of those other people wants to carry a gun and they're an officer of the court, according to the county attorney... Fine by me, baby. Maybe I'll represent him in the future. They trying to scare me off? I'm not scared off. I think law-abiding citizens carrying guns makes us safer. I think that's a good thing. And so now we come back to the ASU situation. Heidi, is it time for a break yet? 
I don't think Heidi can hear me right now. Um, folks, yeah, Heidi's now giving me the signal that we're going to take a break. So um, I'll, I've teased out the ASU story. And when we come back from the break, I'll give you the details. This is Dave Ellswick's show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave this morning here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Folks, we've been talking about gun rights in Arkansas. And I started this narrative by telling you that ASU has violated the law. Arkansas State University has violated the law. How so? This fellow, as I mentioned, went over to the uh, arena at ASU while they were putting on a business expo, told the, told the security guard he has a firearm on him, and the guard, I believe after consulting, in fact, with the police, the, the school police, told him you're not allowed to carry a gun. So he left. Why? Because, as I mentioned, licensed gun owners are amongst the most law-abiding citizens you can find. And then he contacted a state senator, and a state senator contacted ASU. And what did ASU tell him? The state senator, mind you. ASU said, <clears throat> there are two reasons that a firearm can't be carried into the arena. One, the arena is covered by an alcohol, um, what's it, ABC. It's Alcohol Bureau of Control, I think. Anyway, an alcohol permit which allows alcohol service. Mm-hmm. This makes the arena, says ASU, a private club where firearms are not allowed. And two, the arena is designated as a safety-sensitive area in accordance with state law and guns on campus. Both of those statements are demonstrably false. Patently false. Right, there's a great line from a sitcom, that one with the, the, the fellows who are a bunch of physicists. I forget the name of it now. And one guy says to another guy, um, you're really wrong. And the second guy says, there's no such thing as really wrong. There's wrong and there's right. And the first guy says, well, no, actually, that's not true. To call that bridge over there a suspension bridge when it's not, it's a pylon bridge, that's wrong. To call that bridge over there a tomato is really wrong. And I think he has something there. Those two statements are really wrong. They're tomato wrong. That's how wrong those statements are. <clears throat> let's, let's break them down. The first false claim by ASU is that the arena is covered by an alcohol permit which allows, al- uh, which allows al- alcohol service. That's tr- perhaps true. I mean, I assume it's true. This makes the arena a private club where firearms are not allowed. That's demonstrably false. First of all, how could it be? Folks, I suspect most of you are not lawyers because most people aren't lawyers and Dave has a big audience and so therefore his audience reflects the general population. Most of you are not lawyers. You don't need to be a lawyer. Tell me, do you think that a public institution that happens to go out and get an alcohol permit or a building permit or any type of permit can convert itself into a private club? And then who runs that club? 
You think the the uh, the president of ASU can convert various buildings on campus <clears throat> into private clubs just by getting an alcohol permit? If that's the case, thereafter, can he move in? Can he sell it? I mean, these these statements are so patently absurd. I don't know how to respond to them. Oh, but I'll find a way. It's a private club. A government entity is a private club because it complies with some law on having to get a license before you could serve alcohol. So a government entity that complies with a government bureaucratic regulation somehow becomes a private entity. I've got to tell you, folks, in the pantheon of absurd arguments, that ranks up there. It's remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. Well, what about the other argument? The other argument is the arena is designated as a safety-sensitive area in accordance with state law and guns on campus. Well, at first that's, oh, okay, well, maybe there are these areas that the law allows to be Gun-free. Here's the problem. Twice over. One, the law explicitly doesn't say that. It explicitly says otherwise. And two, if you have even an inkling of the history of the development of the laws in Arkansas on guns, you would know that's false. Charlie Collins is the great individual who was a state rep who pushed for allowing guns on campuses. And it took him two or three legislative sessions to get it done. I testified in favor of that law, in fact. Why did it take him so long to get it done? Well, one, just due to bureaucratic resistance. But also, at first they passed a law that said campuses shall be open to guns unless the campus administrator says otherwise. Because they all say, well, no, don't pass a law that takes away the power from us. So, you know, just give us some discretion. We'll make some good decisions. And then, like a storm, it swept across Arkansas that these higher education institutions all opted out of the ability of citizens to carry guns on campus. So the law was meaningless. The law said you could carry on campus unless the administrator says you can't carry on campus and the administrator said you can't carry on campus. So Charlie Collins came back and said, well, you see, I told you. I told you this wasn't going to work, but you guys made me wait. So I waited. So then he passed a law that says, guess what? Guess what? It's the people's property. The property's not owned by some bureaucrat paid by us. He administers it for us. He works for us, not the other way around, notwithstanding the bureaucratic mindset that we, the people, work for the bureaucrats. He works for us. That's the difference. And so, the law says there are, in fact, three areas that can be designated as safety-sensitive areas or words to that effect. I think even the... The statement from the ASU folks was slightly off in terms of the wording. But 
I'm not going to quibble over that because it was dramatically wrong as to the law. And between the two, being dead wrong on the law is the one that's really important. (coughs) Excuse me, folks. Needless to say, I get a bit animated when a bunch of bureaucrats are violating the law. And that's what's happening here. A bunch of bureaucrats are violating the law. Three and only three areas can be designated as gun-free on campus. That's it. And two of them never apply to ASU. And the remaining don't apply here. And one of those three areas, one is a hospital. Well, there's no hospital at ASU. Two is a totally different institution. Uh, UAMS, UAMS, has a get-out-of-jail-free card, has a free pass. You know what that's called, folks? Politics. But they got it, and it's in the law. I don't like it, but it's in the law, and I recognize it's in the law. So we have hospitals, we have UAMS, and the third category is sporting events. Sporting events. It has to be a sporting event. Not a sporting location, not a potential sporting location or anything like that. Right? Because then you just say, well, we can play sports anywhere. See those classrooms? Sometimes we play hacky sack in them. So the legislators were smart enough to say sporting events. Does a business expo sound like a sporting event to you? Well, of course, it's not a sporting event. That's the problem. Think about that as we go to break right now. This is the Dave Ellswick Show, and I am Robert Steinbuck. Filling in for Dave this Friday morning here on 101.1 FM. The answer. Folks, we have been talking about this bureaucratic overreach at ASU. It's not only at ASU. These types of things happen. But this one instance is at ASU. And ASU does not have a good history, by the way. Remember, it was ASU that told a student there who set up a booth on the public walk to uh, advertise a conservative notion, conservative group, the Charlie Kirk group. I believe Charlie Kirk plays on this radio station. And she set up this booth, a table really, after all. And they told her, oh, well, you need a permit for free speech, you see. And this is not a free speech zone. Wait, what? The last time I checked, America is a free speech zone. The First Amendment applies everywhere. Not nowhere. Everywhere. To any interference in free speech by the government. And of course, ASU is a government entity. That's the point, right? We're paying for ASU. And they're squelching First Amendment speech. And this young student at the time... I presume still fairly young, by the way, was bold enough, and she sued. And she sued. And she had a lot of success in that lawsuit. Moreover, that lawsuit spurred the creation of a law here in Arkansas, promoted by conservatives, including me, written by conservatives, including me, that increased free speech on campus. Oh, the universities generally were against it, folks. 
institutions of higher education were generally against more freedom of speech. Think about that. Why? Because our educational system, from the top to the bottom, bottom to the top, from the earliest to the latest, is overwhelmed with notions of indoctrination, not education. It's not complete. I don't indoctrinate my students. I educate my students. That's right. That's right. I stand out. That's right. On that, I'm special. I'm not the only one. But let me tell you, institutions of education across America have adopted indoctrination techniques and leftist ideology that they indoctrinate on. It's just the truth. I don't do it. I won't do it. I won't. Plain and simple. So ASU previously shut out speech, notwithstanding the entitlement to speech. ASU objected, along with other higher education institutions, quietly, mind you, under the table at times, to an expansion of free speech on campus. That bill passed nonetheless with the sponsorship from great senators including Dan Sullivan, true conservative senator. Dan Sullivan proposed in the subsequent session an expansion of free speech on campus, again with my help, in drafting, and it didn't pass. Oh, it's going to come up again, but it didn't pass. Why? Resistance from bureaucrats, resistance from statists, resistance from hacks like uh, soon-to-be former Senator Sturch, who was booted out, thank goodness. I campaigned for his opponent. I went knocking doors for his opponent, and I said I would. When he started to vote against free speech on campus and other good bills, and he was on the Education Committee, no less, I said I will campaign for his opponent, and I did it, and his opponent won. I'm not saying I'm the one that caused the win, but I helped. I helped. You know what really caused the win? People getting fed up with people like Sturch pursuing leftist ideology because he's a pure hack instead of representing the people. So ASU... They fought free speech. That's the First Amendment. They fought guns on campus. That's the Second Amendment. Are they going to start quartering soldiers in the homes of students? Because that's the Third Amendment. Are they going to start illegally searching the cars and apartments of people on campus? Because that's the Fourth Amendment. Are they going to require people on campus to testify against themselves? Because that's the Fifth Amendment. Are they going to provide the right of confrontation to people who are accused of wrongdoing? Because that's the Sixth Amendment. Wouldn't you love to see government entities be the beacons of representation of the Constitution instead of those that seek to tear it down? I, on more than one occasion, given the positions that I've held previously, have sworn an oath to the U.S. Constitution. Why don't these people swear an oath? And if they do, 
Why don't they abide by it? It's tragic. It's absolutely tragic. And that's why I and Chris Corbett file suits. We file suits when government entities are trampling your rights. And we're looking into filing suit against ASU for trampling the gun rights of Arkansans with enhanced concealed carry licenses. Trampling them. This is not an ambiguity. This is not an error. If the response that a sitting state senator got from ASU was a response to a similar question that I posed on an exam after having taught that material, I'd fail that student for that response. Or at least, well, maybe there'd be other parts that they would be graded on. Let's assume that was the only part of the, the whole exam was just that question. That would be a failing answer. That would be a failing answer. It's not a mediocre answer. It's not a kind or correct answer. It's a demonstrably false demonstrably incorrect answer. And I'm tired of it. And let me say this. There's really something insidious going on here if you think about it. Why? Because state senators, state representatives, even governors, that kind of thing, typically are not lawyers and they don't need to be. We don't need too many lawyers. I think we should have some lawyers in in the legislature and we do and I'd probably like to see a little bit more Republican lawyers in the legislature. But having lay people is lay relative to being a lawyer. They're experts, but of other things. They're farmers and bankers and teachers. So many other things. It's better to have that real diversity, by the way. Not the fake diversity. Oh, what color is your skin? Okay. Uh, uh, What's your plumbing? Meaning, are you a man or a woman? Okay. Don't you, wouldn't you, if you have someone of one color and one uh, sex and a different color and a different sex and they think the same way, is that, is that diversity? Diversity of thought is the diversity that matters, folks. We'll come back to that notion. So here we have a legislature made up of non-lawyers, mostly, and that's good. But when they contact a university about a legal issue, they expect to get a legal answer. And when they're told by a state entity, this is what the law is, they presume that's an apt description of the law. Or at least they used to. I wouldn't have even known about this had it not been for this state senator contacting me, skeptical of the answer that he got, right? And so... What's insidious about this is this claim as to what the law is. In other words, the folks at ASU can say, well, we would prefer this, we like that. This is not about preferences. This is about what the law states. And their seemingly unqualified statement about what the law is, wholly wrong that it was, is dangerous to democracy. When those entities that ultimately report to the legislature misinform the legislature, that's a threat to our democracy. Because the legislature can only most effectively operate 
if it's well informed and being misinformed by the very entities that are under the oversight of the legislature is one of the most dangerous things that can happen in government. Because what happens next is the takeover of the government by the bureaucracy. And folks, I'm not sure we're not already there in many respects. We cannot tolerate misinforming the legislature as to the facts. We can't tolerate misinforming anybody as to the facts. But the legislature is even more insidious. You might remember, we're going to go to break in a moment, but you might remember that the school that I teach at, the law school, by the way, as you know, I'm a lawyer and a law professor, but I'm here in my personal capacity and my views are my views alone. Folks, you know what? Let's go to break and I'll pick up this notion after the break. This is the Dave Ellswick Show, and I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Folks, we are continuing to talk about government overreach. We are continuing to talk about government abusing your rights. And I most recently, prior to the break, was talking with you about how ASU misinformed a state senator as to what the law is. And I relate that to another event. You might recall that at the school at which I teach, I like to call it my school, not because I own it, not because I speak on its behalf. I don't. I don't think anybody should, by the way. Well, it's the policy and belief of the school. Wait, what? How does a school have a policy and belief? Well, I guess you can have policies, like written policies, but beliefs... No, schools don't have beliefs. Individuals have beliefs. And so when you hear a school, well, it's our belief. No, nope, stop, stop, nope. You might recall that a little over a year ago, a colleague of mine, who's a Democrat, he's such a Democrat, by the way, that he didn't vote for me when I ran for office In the Republican primary, you know, in Arkansas, we have open primaries, so he could have voted in the Republican primary. And he said, you can put a sign on my lawn, I support you, but I'm not voting in the Republican primary. That's how big a Democrat he is. And that's okay, by the way. I got no problem with that. He's a Democrat, and he pointed out that all of a sudden, one of these honorifics at the law school, and it's called a name professorship, meaning I have a job, I'm a professor of law, on top of that, I can be the, I'm making it up, the John Smith Professor of Law and get an additional 10 grand plus per year. That's an award. And there was one that was called the Public Policy Professor of Law. <clears throat> and it was called that for 20 years. And then my colleague realized, discovered, I wasn't paying attention, frankly that the dean and the holder of that position started calling it the Bill Clinton professorship. You know, William J. William J. Clinton. The slick Willie Bill Clinton professorship. And he said, wait, what? what? What just happened? When did that happen? How did that happen? 
He sent this email to the to the faculty, including the dean, etc. And he, he didn't get any response. So I sent a follow up email. I said, "Well, you know what? This intrigues me too, by the way." So I sent a follow up email, and my follow up email said to the dean, "Hey." Can you answer this question for us, please? And so she did. And she said, well, it was always supposed to be called the Bill Clinton professorship. We, we didn't have all the paperwork. We didn't realize that we had all the paperwork. Wait, what? No. So 20 years later, you realize it was supposed to be called the Bill Clinton professorship? But here's the thing. I've been here almost 20 years. So this thing was created... This position was created only shortly before I got here. And when I got here, I heard about it just as part of the general history of the, of the place. And the history that I heard at the time was there was an initial consideration of naming it after Bill Clinton, but then he was being charged in Arkansas under a, a disbarment action. And so he, so the, the decision to have it named after him was pulled. I knew this for nearly 20 years. And I said so in response to the dean's claim. No, 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 you're all wrong. Wait, what? I'm wrong. How am I wrong? No, 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 that's not what happened. No. Did they go out and do some research or they're just stating this? Well, we'll see now, won't we? Right now. And indeed... My colleague pointed out that it didn't make much sense for a guy who had his bar license surrendered, pursuant to a disbarment action, no less, that a law school should name a position after him. Perhaps the most minimum requirement for a law school should be that if the person you're honoring is a lawyer, his ability to practice law is not removed. It's not a particularly high bar, now is it? Perhaps it is. When politics overwhelm substance. To add insult to injury, the dean wrote to me and my colleague. My colleague, by the way, I'm happy to tell you his name. There's nothing secret about it. His name is Tom Sullivan. He represents poor people people on death row, really just the the downtrodden. He does a public service every time he goes to court. And Dean writes to us and says, I'm not going to continue to respond to this line of discussion because I've made my position clear. Oh, okay. True enough. But here's what's interesting. Next sentence. I did want to point out to both of you what should be obvious at this point. Obvious it is, she says. Obvious. Your colleagues are not interested in the naming of this professorship. Oh, really? Let's dig into that because it's really troubling on so many levels. First of all, I know that colleagues were. So factually, it's wrong. It's It's just an untrue statement. It's just untrue. Because I've had colleagues who were interested in it. And, but here's the deeper question. Wait, since when is the standard of truth, of justice, of law-abidingness determined based on whether other people 
agree or are concerned. How is that the standard? Well, you see, we're breaking the law, but nobody's paying attention, so let's stop talking about it. Wait, what? Is that the analogy that we want to have here? We're breaking the rules, but nobody cares we're breaking the rules? So, end of discussion? Is that really the analysis? By the way, then the dean goes on and says, Rob, in the middle of the email, Rob, my understanding is that you inquired about teaching at the Clinton School of Public Service, apparently, by the way, uh, as an adjunct. I may have. I don't recall, but it seems perfectly plausible that I would have offered my services at a leftist institution to have some different perspective. So that seems plausible. I don't recall it, but I'm not denying it because I actually think it would be a good thing. And if perchance one of the leftists at the Clinton School is actually listening to this station, the offer stands. No charge, by the way. No charge. I'll do it for free. She says, I find it odd that you'd be so concerned with the merits of President Clinton and any honors. You see, she recognizes it's an honor. Politics reaps its ugly head. And any honors directed at him by Bowen Law School when you've asked to teach at a school named after him. Wait, what? So, I can't object to a law school giving a lawyer who doesn't have a law license because he went through a disbarment action an honorific, as she recognizes, she calls it an honor, because I'm willing to teach at another institution that uses his name in which I have no say how the name is used. Hey, folks, you know what I also do? I fly out of... The Clinton Airport. Think about that. I fly out of the Clinton Airport. Let's go to break. We'll be back after these words. Ellswick Show, and I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave this morning here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Now in the studio with me, bleary-eyed, coffee-filled, Chris <laughs> Corbett, professional engineer, attorney, 
uh, and uh, avid fisherman. Yes. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. When I was coming in the studio, there was a fantastic sunrise right behind you. Nice. It was red and blue and green. It was awesome. That's wonderful. Chris is just back from fishing, in fact. I've yet, incidentally, to see any fish. (laughs) I don't know that he's actually back from fishing because when my friends generally go fishing, they give me some fish. <laughs> so that's the proof, after all, that they went fishing. Fishermen do not lie. Yeah, they don't lie. <laughs> and they share fish with friends. And so far, I haven't seen any fish. So I'm skeptical that the trip was actually a fishing trip. But we'll, <laughs> we'll see how that plays out, needless to say. Chris, we've been talking about, as you heard inevitably on your drive-in, <clears throat> most recently, how at the law school... They created a name, they changed the name of a 20-year-old named professorship to give it to, to name it after Bill Clinton, and I had raised all along, well, that's not correct, and the dean at the time said, well, no, we are correct. So I want to finish up that story, because it dovetails into an issue that we're going to talk about that's in the newspaper today. So you might know what happened next. Chris might know, but the audience may not know. What happened next was the newspaper got involved and a FOIA request was made for all the records regarding this named professorship that was improperly named after Bill Clinton all of a sudden after 20 years of not being named after Bill Clinton. And that FOIA request demonstrated definitively that there, it was never to be named after Bill Clinton. To be clear, initially it was going to be named after Bill Clinton, and he pulled the approval. Almost exactly what I said to the school. I said there was a consideration of naming it, and that consideration was then changed to the opposite. That's what I said, and the record supported that claim 100%. So notwithstanding that, the dean said, nobody cares about what you're saying, Steinbuck. Because right and wrong is not determined, by the way, as to by whether someone cares. It's either right or it's wrong. <laughs> um, Wait a minute, you talking about facts? You talking about facts? Are you talking about facts? Right, but with you to left, there's no such thing. Oh, but if we hurt their feelings, if, you, if their feelings get hurt or they're too sensitive, then then uh, we got to change what we're saying mm. to something that's counterfactual. Yeah, because feelings trump facts. Oh, don't you know man. that, Chris? Yeah, you didn't know that. Yeah, right. There's so many items to talk about under that it's umbrella. It, it makes me, it, it drives me insane. Mm-hmm. It's a short trip, baby. <laughs> That's right, it is. That's right, it is. <laughs> so uh, the records made this definitive. The legislature got involved, called a hearing on it. Two days before the hearing, the chancellor of the university wrote a letter to the committee holding the hearing saying, this was a mistake, shouldn't have happened. This named professorship should have never been renamed after Bill Clinton. Wait, what? You mean you know, exactly what I said, Chris? Yeah, well, and then for, for, the, for posterity or for the listeners to understand, uh, this named professorship is, is prestigious. It's oh, kind of no. cool to have your name on a, on a, on a piece of, um, what is it, literary piece of an award of uh, money, extra money given to a professor that distinguishes the professor in the name of somebody that's done something good. Right. Right? That's exactly and, right. And then what was going on here is that Bill Clinton 
denied it, didn't want it. And then also there was a question whether or not we want, even though he was president, do we want a disbarred attorney as a named professorship at a law school? Law school. Did I mention law school? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's a problem. That's a problem. Yeah. And then and then uh, digging in further, you've you've uncovered that. This things, these things are kind of given out willy-nilly. They're kind of like, how are they, how are they, how do you, what is the criteria for giving out a name professorship? And when you got to looking into it, it, it it's not fair. Yeah, like, well. it's being manipulated. It's being uh, pushed towards a liberals, the liberals. Honestly, that's what, that's what I see. And I've just barely brushed the surface of it. You're living it. So. I live it every day, brother. Yeah. This June, I contacted the dean of the law school, and I said, you know, last time you told folks that there was an opening, uh, you did it in January, and that's the normal time, around January. It's six months later. Yeah. What, what's going on? Oh, well, I've been real busy, said the dean, um, and we only have one opening. Only one opening? I said, well, I know there are at least two and possibly more. Right. Well, then she came back and said, actually, there, there are four. So we went from one to four. So, really? Based yeah. on your request? Based on my no, request. No, these were supposed to be filled in January, and they weren't filled until June. This is a, oh, folks. no, no, they weren't. Most of them weren't filled at all. Oh, this is extra money for the professors. This is extra money, $10,250 a year, based on merit. What's merit? Of an a- <laughs> Sorry, wait, yeah. what? Based on merit. Is that a French word? What of the application, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's a nice little bonus. It's a nice little, hey, you're doing it a good job. It ain't so little, by the way. Ten yeah. grand ain't so little. There you go. It's a nice little incentive to, to go out and do a little extra, right? That's what it is. It's for doing a little extra. And those applications are being uh, thrown to the side, which is what it appears to me, based on political ideology. Can I say that? Right, it's you a just fact. did, yeah. Not on merit, but based on whether or not you're promoting some woke uh, agenda. He, she, him, it. It's just, it's a, it's, it's obvious to me what's going on, and um, we're gonna get a chance to prove it. Can Can I have my preferred pronouns being very he? Very yes, him? Yes. Is that is that acceptable? I love this stuff. Yeah, I want to be a tack helicopter. Tack helicopter. A tack yeah. helicopter. Right. Is that the singular or is that the plural or is it both? Yeah. Both. 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 Right. right. Um, yeah. So it's it's gotten it's gotten outrageous, and then when you shine a light on them, you get to pull them in front of some body, and they've got to explain themselves, or they start squirming, right? And um, uh, I think I think a majority of people in this country. Really want to stand up and say something, but they're they're scared. Like, oh, uh, this is bad. You know, people are gonna you know cancel me. They're gonna they're gonna cancel me and call me out, lose my job, lose my pay. Um, and it's scary out there right now with folks promoting these whack agendas. Um, we talked about the other day the um, the Air Force Academy's got some diversity inclusion training. They're spending hours and hours on. They can't use the word mom and dad. This is just like the tip of the iceberg. And then when you 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 take the how did we get to where we are? It's this. It's this liberal agenda that you can't see on its surface. It's deception. It's like we, we're going to say this, but and, but we're really going to do the opposite behind the scenes when you dig in. We have a named professorship, and it's open based on meritocracy, but, oh, we have a great application here, but no, 
he preaches conservative values. So we're going to set that one to the side. That's what's going on. It's real simple. The dean says there are four named professorships. Uh-huh. I'm only, says she, I'm only going to fill one. Wait, what? Oh, man. Wait, what? So I go back in the pool and they increase the bonus next year? Or they no. increase the award? Oh, no, it's even better. Oh, gosh. Where's it going? Oh, go? it's even better. <laughs> um, let's call this. The first one is the one she's going to fill, and mm-hmm. we're going to talk about that one. Yeah. So the second one, and I'm making up the order, of course, right? right? But the second one, she said, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to fill it at all because uh, I'm going to wait to hire a new person. So all the faculty who are here already doing good, they can't apply now because I want to hire a new person, and I might offer it to the new person. Isn't that remarkable? By the way, hmm. you're, you're right. Where's that money? Yeah. That money where to exists. Go? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know where, where to go? Uh, stays in, in their coffers for the administrators to do with. Now, they could. They can hand out the money without handing out the award. Did right. they do that? No. No. Yeah. What it, well, for for the for the listeners to understand, from my understanding, a name professorship. If you've got a couple million bucks laying around, and you want to stick it in a perpetuity fund, a fund in perpetuity, I'd like to fund a professorship that teaches civil rights, and someone that does above and beyond some sort of extracurricular endeavor that benefits civil rights. I could go and say, I want a name professorship for civil rights. Here's two million bucks. Stick it in the stock account. Make six or seven percent. And then pay a professor extra money per year. And indeed, they're funded all different ways. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the one that she did open up that we're going to talk about that I competed for, didn't get, and am now have now filed a claims commission lawsuit over, yeah. uh, that one, uh, there is no pool of money at the school. Oh, okay. It's funded every year by the Bar Foundation. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right. There's another one that was created um, based on a, a general pool of money that was given to the school, and part of it was carved out and mm-hmm. used to create one. Others were dedicated to specific names from specific money. So there's all sorts of different ways uh, to fund these things. The funding doesn't have anything to do with whether there's a name professorship. Okay. Indeed, there is a related notion called endowed professorship. Oh, that's maybe what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. which I've used interchangeably because to most folks, uh, the difference is not important. Uh, and seemingly the difference is not important here unless they they want to make some false um, a parallel. Uh, but an endowed professorship requires an endowment. A name professorship doesn't require any such thing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, the second one, they said, we're not going to fill it. We're not going to fill it. Why? Because here's the thing. If you got four and you got to c- compete them mm-hmm. four, you got to turn me down four times. Right. Turning me down once is already exceedingly hard because for the one that they opened up, I was, I am the most qualified candidate, period. Nice. Um, and we'll talk about that. But... For the second one, they said we're not going to fill it. The third one and the fourth one are currently held by professors. And here's the interesting wrinkle. Say the third one, the numbers are made up, but the third one is held by the dean. Okay. So she's not only the dean, where she makes a quarter million dollars, roughly. Mm -hmm. She gets an extra 10 grand um, for this name professorship. And it was supposed to expire at the beginning of this academic year. And she said, I'm extending my own name professorship to five years. 
and the other one too. Wait, what? Wait, what? Wait, wait, what did you just say? I've given myself a pay raise effectively because I am extending. Is there my any own. oversight on that? That's a little bit of a conflict of interest. Just with a the first, bit? yeah. Just if I look at this, um, you name yourself and you extend your own professorship without any oversight, no selection committee, no nothing. Boom, yeah, boom. Yeah, that's gonna, a little messed up. Think about that. A little messed up. Think about that during the break, and we'll continue when we get back. This is the Dave Ellswick Show, and I am Robert Steinbuck, filling for Dave here on 101.1 FM. The answer in the studio with us, of course, is Chris Corbett, attorney, professional engineer, and all-around smart guy who allegedly goes fishing from time to time. <laughs> Lack of fish gifting notwithstanding. Uh, so, Chris, I was telling you that there are four positions open. The dean competed one of them. <clears throat> Said she wasn't going to fill the second. And then numbers three and four, one of which she holds, she unilaterally extended the term from four years to five years. And I said, well, what's the basis to extend those terms? And she said, well, there's a rule, and there is, that says the following. But here's the wrinkle. It says the following. It says if the school raises additional money and and creates additional name professorships, then the existing ones can be extended because, you know, there's more to go around, so you don't need to rotate them quite as quickly. So I said, oh, I'm aware of that rule. How does that apply here? What additional name professorships have been generated? So she said two things. One, well, there's one in the works. We're still raising money. Wait. <laughs> so literally not generated. Literally the opposite. Right. Right? Like, that's it. That's that a fact doesn't apply. Right. It's not even a fact. Right. It's a... It's a it's uh, the opposite. Uh, yeah. It's the opposite. Do you have a driver's license? Well, I applied for one. Yeah. What? <laughs> uh, no. Right. Do you have a passport? Well, I sent in the application. Uh, right. No. Did you pass the bar? Well, I paid the fee. No. None of those are valid. And equally so, that statement is invalid. But, you know, how do you even make that statement? And then the second one, the dean says, well, we have a, a name professorship called the Altheimer Alzheimer, that's the fellow's name, professorship. I said the Alzheimer was created, professorship was created in 1981. Uh-huh. And by the way, you know how I know this? Well, I know it because I've been around here long enough to know that, right? It, right? But the second way, I looked on the school's website. Wait, nice. so the school's website says this thing was created in 1981 before, before all of these other ones were created. Uh-huh. Not after, uh-huh. before. It's the second oldest named professorship at the school. You know how I know that? It's on that same website. Nice. It's written by the then dean about the named professorship. It's 40 years old. Yeah. That's the new one? And these things have a a set of criteria where they make the choices by? Uh, There are general criteria that apply unless there are specific criteria named by the donor. Okay. Well, the one that she competed is called the Arkansas Bar foundation professorship yeah and the donor set forth specific criteria specific criteria for that and go ahead yeah so so what you're saying is that we're, the, the law school is going to operate us by a set of values here's what we promote here's what we do and we're going to abide by those values 
except for when it doesn't serve our political interests. Yeah, and that that's what I, that that pattern right there is what ought to raise the shackles on the back of your neck. That's right. Right. We're gonna we're gonna abide by these values until. It doesn't serve our political interests. That's and right. what happens is these liberals, they, 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 it's a deception. They say, hey, no, we're, we're doing what we say we're doing, but behind the scenes, they're not. That's what's going on. <clears throat> the Arkansas Bar Foundation professorship, which is the one of the four that she actually uh-huh. opened for competition, yeah. for which I applied, for which I frankly and clearly state I wasn't him the most qualified candidate. Right. Requires excellence in teaching. I got it. Right. Requires service to the Arkansas judges and lawyers, specifically. Nice. (laughs) I wrote the book on the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act in which a Supreme Court justice wrote, and it's in my application. Yeah. That she thinks it's perhaps the most important book for the court <clears throat> on interpreting either law in general or interpreting the Freedom of Information Act. I don't remember. That's fantastic. Yeah. How's that for service yeah. to judges? Right. Well, let me. T- I'll tell you how important it is because yeah. it's it's a, it's apparently readily apparent going on in City of Little Rock right now. Mm-hmm. You cannot get records out of the little out of the City of Little Rock. Right. And the people need that stuff. So yeah, that's that's very important. Right. And lawyers. Routinely use that book and, routine, and routinely call me for assistance. Yeah, they do. Isn't that service to the lawyers and to the judges? <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Right? It's not the only one, by the way, but isn't that a pretty good example? Yeah. Does that? Did anybody else compare on that metric? No. And then finally, scholarship on Arkansas law, mm-hmm. which amongst other th- scholarship is that book. I've got the, I'm the only one at the law school who's authored a treatise, a book, on Arkansas law. The only nice. one. And it's not the only thing I've written on Arkansas law, yeah. by the way. So I applied for this name professorship. And the dean applied a bunch of criteria that, that are not part of the criteria set forth by the donor. And in fact, she said, I'm only going to look at the last five years of the applicants. Only the last five years. Name professorships are given out for career accomplishments. <laughs> nice. Now, you should be productive throughout your career, not just 20 years ago. Yeah. But why the last five years? Well, if you have somebody with, say, seven years of accomplishments versus someone with 20 years of accomplishments, if you only look at the last five, it's a way to make them look closer, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Right? A little manipulation of the data there. Right. Right. There's a Democrat Gazette article about what's going on about the lawsuit that you are co-counseling on. It's great. Uh, those articles call attention to it and and it's the you know the the newspaper's serving part part of its purpose is to call out this this unscrupulous behavior. It happened the other day with the city of Little Rock buying almost bought a piece of property for half a million bucks when it was valued at $85,000. And the newspapers would called it out. Hey, wait, wait. What's going on here? Who bought this property? Who owns it? Why are they buying it for half a mil when it's only worth $85,000? Guess what? It was a city employee. Hmm. What kind of inside crooked deal was that going to be? Cronyism and corruption. Cronyism is what we're talking about. Cronyism and corruption. And it hurts the, it hurts the public. Cronyism and corruption. Hidden. It's hidden. 
And what exposes it? The yeah. Freedom of Information Act. That, there you go. And how do you use the Freedom of Information Act? By using Steinbuck's book. That's right. That's well, the, new, the newspaper used it. Of course they did. Yeah. Of course they to did. To find that out. To yeah. uncover that. The newspaper calls me oh, yeah. with FOIA questions. Oh, yeah. Right? Boy, that, that book is of assistance to a lot of folks. Think about that. We're going to go to break, and we'll continue our conversation. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck, filling in for Dave this Friday morning here on 101.1 FM. The answer in the studio with us, Chris Corbett. Chris, I was about to, and I will, start to read the article on these very issues that we're talking about that appears in today's Democrat Gazette. So I commend uh, Dave's listeners to take a look at the Dem Gaz if you subscribe. And I know many folks do. It's a very good paper, i got to tell you. By the way, let me make a little commentary on that. So many papers have become so politicized. And the Dem Gaz reports news. Wait, what? There's an agenda? Yeah, Newspaper right, articles? right. <laughs> what, you fill your brain with? Say what? Say what? But the Dem Gaz does just a wonderful job of reporting news. They do. They, that's good. They do a good job. They that's really wonderful. do. They really do. What are the facts? What are the facts? Plain and simple. Tell me the facts right? on this deal. Exactly. That's all I need to know are the facts and everything else. Uh, you know, I can make uh, my own conclusions, yeah. but so many newspapers uh, do the opposite, and it's really sad. So I'm going to read to you from the article. You've seen it already. And then I'd like you to comment as we sort of have natural breaks in the article. Yeah. A University of Arkansas at Little Rock law professor, meaning me, has filed a claim with the Arkansas State Claims Commission, which is where you sue when you sue a state entity, saying he was improperly denied a named professorship despite being the best qualified faculty member for the position. Robert Steinberg said that the failure to receive the Arkansas Bar Foundation professorship, which comes with a $10,250 stipend annually for four years, was at least an abuse of discretion by Dean Teresa Biner at the W.H. Bowen School of Law at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, and he seeks an award of $10,250. Biner, quote, did not employ the required donor selection criteria for the position and improperly adopted a series of her own created substantive criteria, including arbitrarily limiting the time period of accomplishments considered to five years, which obviously benefits candidates without a long history of accomplishments, according to the claim. Would you call that donor criteria? Yeah. Donor criteria. How nice. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. So here's a list of criteria. One, two, three, and four we're going to use. But um, if we've got somebody I want to give it to, then I'm going to manipulate those criteria by limiting the time frame on how that criteria is used. Let me tell you, folks, this is deep. Um, it's a technique I use in cross-examining expert witnesses. It's a technique I use in cross-examining um, non-expert witnesses. How did you make your decision? Tell me the criteria. This is I'm going to drop a pearl on you. Are you listening? This can work in with your son. This can work with your wife. Be careful using it with your wife. How did you make this decision? Tell me the, what you used. Item one, item two, item three. Okay. Well, which one of those factors is most important? Is number one most important? Number two most important? Number three. And after that, if I took that criteria out, would it reverse your decision? Would it reverse? Would, would that is that factor the most important? And these little steps are very interesting in exposing duplicity, in exposing an agenda that may be out there. What agenda am I talking about? Some liberal liberal agenda that's going to be used to indoctrinate our kids. They get out there and they start practicing based on that set of values that are manipulated. So come on, man. 
And so what does she do here? She is manipulating the cri- donor, was it donor criteria? Donor criteria, yeah. So uh, continue. Yeah. So the article goes on, yeah. and it says... A quote, because it's quoting from the complaint. Right. Name professorships are designed to reflect a career of accomplishments, which inevitably includes recent years, but are not designed to only consider recent accomplishments at the expense of also considering the full record, uh, uh, considering, end quote, the full records of candidates. Biner filled the one named professorship she advertised with an applicant who has been a member of the faculty since 1998 and was appointed the associate dean for academic affairs in 2020. Uh, quote, who at minimum demonstrably and significantly didn't fulfill the requirements of the Arkansas Bar Foundation professorship, as well as Steinbuck did, if she did at all, which does not appear the case, end quote, according to the claim. Quote, had the rules been properly applied, Steinbuck would have received the name professorship and the accompanying $10,250, which he seeks in damages, end quote. Incidentally, the, the recipient started in 1998, but she only moved into what's called tenure track far more recently. So she didn't have an obligation to do many of the things, particularly when it comes to scholarship, mm-hmm. that tenure track and tenured professors do. So that's why the more recent years become a lot more salient. In his application for the Bar Foundation professorship, which emphasizes excellence in teaching and in scholarship in Arkansas law, as well as, quote, significant contributions to serving the bench and bar of Arkansas, bench and bar meaning lawyers and judges. Steinbuck cited qualifications such as receiving the Faculty Excellence Award in Public Service, being the only Fulbright Scholar in teaching on the faculty, routinely advising on and drafting legislation for state legislators, which obviously, by the way, helps both lawyers and judges. And the people. All three. Right, and litigating public interest lawsuits for free as a practicing attorney in Arkansas, yeah. which again helps judges because now you have you don't have people going without an attorney. Right. Right? And, you know, if someone looked at this just briefly, you think, oh, well, he's just this is some sour grapes. He didn't get his ten thousand dollars, so he's going to make a fuss about it. No, that's not how it is at all. Here's what the deal is: when you see something wrong and you have the ability to do something about it, then you have a duty to do something about it. The engineers do, lawyers do. Hey, if someone brings some attention, something to your attention, and you don't have the ability to do something about it, then what can you do? What are you supposed to do? Put a little tweet out? No. But when you're endowed or got some talents, you have the degrees, you have the special education, you have the means to do it, I'm here to tell you that you ought to do it. If something's going on wrong and you do nothing about it, in my opinion, you're just as bad as the evil perpetrator. So part of what you've got going on here, Rob, is if you're successful, well, I hope you are, um, this won't be done again. It won't for the future. It won't happen again. They'll say, ooh, we've got this precedence out here that says uh, we need to go by these criteria. And that is what's called fairness, right? A notion of fair play. If it's not, then it's all manipulated. Then why do we hate? Why do we even have the criteria then? Right. If it's just a handout, then just say the dean gets to choose without any reason who gets this money. Is that what it says? I don't think so. It's really, it's really important the 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 issue you ra- you raise, which is 
some named professorships are at the sound discretion. It always says sound discretion, not unlimited oh, discretion. It only says sound, which means if the discretion is exercised improperly, that's an abuse. There you go. And you know, yeah. it's an interesting standard. You've got these standards of on appeal, right? Uh, arbitrary and capricious, um, abuse of discretion. Uh, uh, preponderance of the evidence, clear and convincing evidence, supported by substantial, what is it, substantial evidence? Uh, there's a, there's so many criteria out there that make it squishy for uh, constitutional lawyers and litigators out there to prove these things. And, um, you know, you've got a dean that's been given the power for dis- of a sound discretion, and it can never be checked? That ain't right. And, and, and to be clear, the sound discretion applies to those named professorships without separate criteria. You still use the sound discretion when there's criteria, but when you have separate criteria, now you've got two components. You've got sound discretion applying these specific criteria. Right? And here's here's what I'm sorry, I lost the the website for for a moment. Here's what the article continues to say. Um, Steinbuck also practices in both state and federal court. That's assistance to judges and lawyers, right? Uh, Chairs the Arkansas Advisory Committee to the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights and is a member of the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act Task Force of Assistance to Lawyers and Judges. The Arkansas Freedom of Information Act Coalition of Assistance to Lawyers and Judges. And the Arkansas Transparency and Government Group of Assistance to Lawyers and Judges. In fact... While at the Arkansas Transparency in Government Group, I've already offered continuing legal education for credit to lawyers. I've repeatedly, by the way, offered a variety of continuing legal education for credit for lawyers. I can think of nothing that is of a higher order of service to the lawyers than giving them Free continuing legal education. Oh, fantastic. Right. If you have a specific issue, right. you've tested it in court. Right. Hey, this works. This doesn't work. Look out for this trick. Um, so I'll just give a good example. Um, when, when you threaten, when you request documents from, say, the city of Little Rock, please provide me A, B, and C. And then they don't. And what are you supposed to do? Well, you threaten the lawsuit. If you threaten the lawsuit, it really doesn't work. You file the lawsuit. And then guess what? They come running to produce those records. That's the trick. Which, of course, is what we uh, did with uh, Sheriff Higgins in Pulaski County. That is, our client uh, requested records. They didn't produce them. He said, hey, you really need to produce these records. They didn't produce them. And then we filed the lawsuit. Yeah, exactly. And guess what? Showed up. On on the day we went to court, they showed up with a stack of digital records on the day we went to court. So you're empowering younger attorneys that don't have this 20 years of litigation experience. Here's what you need to do. I've got more than 20 years of litigation experience, by the way. I've been here 20 years. (laughs) They want to know how to do it. Well, it's not that simple. It's, you have to, to hear from you is fantastic. You know, that's definitely service to the lawyers. Well, and they get, they get actual credit because they're mandated yeah. to take education courses throughout their career. And they get credit when I provide it. And, I, and I, by the way, it's not easy. I've got to create an outline, get approval. That's right. You know, there's many it's steps. Like on the engineering yeah, side. indeed. You have presentation engineers and they get Indeed. Credit. You have to have it approved. Indeed. Folks, let's take a quick break. And we'll be back after these words. This is the Dave Ellswick Show, and I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave this Friday morning. 
Uh, we'll be ending this segment of the show. As you know, folks, we'll be back on from 9 to 10, so be sure to stay tuned in or tune back in. In the meantime, I'm going to try to finish up this article. We'll talk more about it the 9 to 10 hour, but let me finish up this article, and then uh, I'm going to try to get through it, Chris, and then if we have a little time left, let you make some comments. Cool. Steinberg, who joined the law faculty in 2005, also claims Biner unilaterally extended the name Professor Professor Ship she holds, called the Nadine Baum Distinguished Professor of Law, for a fifth year. Named professorships in the law school are four-year terms for the holders, although the dean can extend them beyond four years if, quote, development activities generate sufficient additional named professorships. Generate, by the way. Or if specific terms of a donor in creating the name professorship differ according to the complaint. Biner extending her own name professorship beyond four years violates not only the law school's stated rules. No new name professorships have been created recently, which is a condition for extending a name professorship beyond four years for the same holder. But also a conflict of interest, according to Steinbuck. Also in his filing, Steinbuck said he's being discriminated against because of his past conflicts with his superiors regarding naming a named professorship after former President Bill Clinton, by the way, improperly so, as well as Steinbuck's longstanding practice of having guest lecturers in his classes when he observes Jewish holidays. And by the way, when the dean all of a sudden said I couldn't do so, and that was reversed. It sure was. Yeah. Because you made an issue out of it, because it was wrong. Exactly and you had a duty to do it. You're like, hey, look, I'm going to have to call you out on this. Yeah. We're going to have this reviewed. Boom. Easily. Simply handled. Yeah. 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 And, and in fact, what did that committee say? They said uh, that uh, the decision uh, constitutes discrimination if it uh, is applied, the prohibition is applied for the next upcoming Jewish holiday. Because this occurred, the prohibition was put in place after the last holiday. Right. So it never took effect. And they said, well, if it takes effect, <laughs> that constitutes discrimination. Right. Right. right? Constitutes yeah. discrimination. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, you saw some, you saw a wrongful action. You, you, you acted on it. And um, it was changed. It's fantastic. You know, it's interesting, if you're successful in this lawsuit, how it could affect other professorships across the entire state. So... Um, well, you know, this needs to be looked at. This is a problem, uh, as you aptly pointed out earlier. It's very difficult, often, for people to step up and be the point man on a controversial yeah, issue. It's real hard, right? And but for me, my parents, as you know, emigrated from Israel. But they, my mother was born in Israel. My father was born in Poland before mm-hmm. World War Two. When World War Two hit, he lived under Nazi occupation. Uh, and uh, Soviet occupation. Yeah. Then wound up going, not by choice, by the way, but it turned out to be lucky. Right. Uh, to uh, Siberia, and then another part of the Soviet Union, and then after the war, only a few members of his family survived the war. Yeah. Uh, they went to Israel. My mother's family is German. And they left Germany in the 30s, after Hitler had already taken some power. And so they went to Israel. So I come from a history of knowing explicitly what discrimination against Jews looks like. Right. I know exactly what it looks like. Yeah. And when I, for 20 years, 20 years, had used 
a federal judge to cover my class. And all of a sudden, just after the brouhaha <laughs> with the false naming of a named professorship after Bill Clinton was told I could no longer have a federal judge cover my classes during yeah. the highest of Jewish holidays, it struck me as odd. Yes. <laughs> and that's an understatement. Right. <laughs> Right. Well, it, it happens all the time, right. and you got to be on the watch. You got to. It's every day, every day, something's going to happen, and you have a choice whether or not you're going to say something or do something about it. And I, let me give you, let me give you a criteria on how to decide. If it's within your circle of influence, then yeah, you got a duty to do something about it. Do it. File it. Be a plaintiff in the complaint. File a grievance, and if there's retaliation. Well, we'll deal with that next, right? Yeah. So, and that's what happened. They retaliated against you. It's obvious. So, uh, keep up the good work. Keep keep standing up for what's right, and um, let let the don't worry about it. You know, God didn't put you on this world to go around worrying. Do what's right, and you're gonna come out fine. You know, it's so frustrating when institutions set up a set of rules because. Why do you set up rules? Right. Fairness. That's right. Fairness. That's right. And then the rules are ignored. And then when you tell people, hey, these rules are being ignored, yeah. uh, don't ask any questions. That's right. Fairness and due process. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I just litigated a case last week. Um, a great client of mine, Rock City Raps, was denied due process. Judge Leverett found that he was denied due process and dismissed an unsafe building code violation on him. And, and you've got to be on, you got to be on guard for these kind of things. You've got to be watching out for these violations of due process. So what you're talking about is they, they didn't follow their own rules. They're violating due process because you have the expectations that these are the rules, and they mean what they say. They're not squishy. They mean what they say. And here's how what they're going to do. And when they don't do it, it's not only a violation of fair play, but it's a violation of due process. You didn't have adequate notice. You didn't get a hearing on it. What's going on? It's a it's a property right taken from you. So yeah. we're going to find out. We're going to find out. And it's it's really, you know, it's disheartening. That's what it is. It's, right. sa- it's, it's upsetting and it's sad, really. But um, we're endowed with the skills to handle it, and we're going to handle it gleefully. Boom. Well, you know, it's when people apply for school and they apply for jobs. Yeah. And, they, they, you know, they when they do so, I think... The vast majority of people say, look, if I'm the most qualified, I should get in. If I'm right. not, I'll suck it up. I'll Same. do something else. Right. And sure. it's when that doesn't happen. Right? That's why we, of course, even created a civil service system. Why? Because, you know, 100 years ago, it was cronyism and corruption. That's right. By the way, something we still see. Oh, yeah. But it was cronyism and corruption. Everybody, you know, oh, well, his cousin got the job. Why? Because it's his cousin. Yeah. So to do away with that, we put into place the civil service system. This way you take an exam. Who scored the best? That's right. Right? We remove the cronyism corruption. Why do you put rules in place for big name professorships or anything else? Yeah. Why? To eliminate cronyism and corruption. Right. And then if the rules aren't f- uh, followed, then what do you have? Cronyism and corruption. That's right. It ends up hurting the little person. It, it ends up hurting everybody. It hurts yeah. the institution. It hurts. You know, this is the thing. These kinds of actions where you have a failure to follow rules. People, people see that. 
Oh, yeah. I'm not the only one. People have commented to me already. But oh, prior sure to the lawsuit. Oh, I'm sure they have. Prior to the lawsuit. And they're going and they're going to go, "Hey, uh, can I tell you something but off the record?" Right. Hey, here's what I think. Right. I'm glad you're doing this. Right. Yeah. But even before I filed, we filed in fact the suit. Yeah. Right? So, the point being is it diminishes an institution. That's right. When an institution does something that violates its own rules. That's right. You know, and the thing is, I am the Bowen Law School along with everybody else there. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, just to be clear, on the radio here, I represent my views. Right. But my point simply is, if people say, well, you know, you, the, the Bowen School thinks such and such. Wait a second. Wait a second. What do you... <laughs> Who gave voice to that? Because I'm part of that voice. Yeah, right. And that's what this lawsuit is about. Being nice. part of that voice. Yeah. Folks, uh, as you know, uh, we're going to end uh, now, but we'll be back in an hour. So either stay tuned in or come back and listen to us from 9 to 10. Ellswick Show, and I am Robert Steinbuck filling for Dave this Friday morning from 9 to 10. It's great to be back with you after having been on this morning with you all. I hope you are starting off your weekend well. I realize starting off the weekend by saying that on Friday morning still generally encompasses going to work. But nonetheless, I hope the beginning is good. By the way, folks, this coming um, uh, Sunday night uh, through Tuesday night uh, is the Jewish holiday of Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. And so I want to share that with you. Uh, and then in about a week thereafter will be the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. You might recall that last year when a federal judge uh, ju- uh, a federal judge filled in for me uh, ju- during the Jewish New Year because I was off, needless to say. It's a high holiday. I was questioned, uh, why would I, what was I doing? And uh, then when I explained I was doing like I had done for the last nearly 20 years, that is, taken off from my religious observance and uh, had a federal judge cover me, I was told I couldn't do this in the future. I was told I could no longer have a federal judge cover my class in the future when I took off for Jewish religious observance. By the way, you know, we hear a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Oh, I emphasize inclusion. Yet when I was asked why I was off during the Jewish New Year, the question was, were you sick? With no apparent insight 
a realization that it was the Jewish New Year. And so for entities that claim they so desperately value inclusion in that notion is a respect for other people's religion, I would posit. And if so, at least some awareness, some awareness of the major holidays of that religion. You would think. Well, indeed, by the way, many, many years ago in a prior administration, I gave them a calendar because they seemingly didn't have one that contained the Jewish holidays. But I haven't updated that. Maybe that's my obligation to tell people who are espousing notions of inclusion that they should at least be aware of the Jewish holidays. Hmm. It's kind of an odd notion, isn't it? In fact, similarly, by the way, we, we're hiring a new dean at the law school. By the way, I appear here in my personal capacity, so my views are my views alone and not necessarily those of where I work. We're hiring a new dean, uh, and so they picked a committee uh, of members of internal Bowen faculty and staff, and then external committee members, and there's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten internal folks, eleven if you include the chairperson who uh, is retired from the law school, so that's 11, and then four outsiders. Of the insiders, there's not one white male. Zero. Zero. Hmm. Because diversity, equity, inclusion seems to go only in one direction. There's one African-American male, and then the rest are female. So out of 11 people, 10 are female. But wait, whatever happened to proportional representation? Wait, What happened there? Eleven folks from the law school, ten of whom are women. And the remaining individual, the African-American male, is just that. So no white men at all. Zero. Zero white men from the internal folks. Of the four external members, two are seemingly white men. Um, But of the eleven internal folks, zero white men, one man in total. Diversity, equity, and what's the last word again? Oh yeah, inclusion. Inclusion. And isn't that the problem? See, inclusion to the left means inclusion of the folks that we like, not you. Not you. You're not included. You're not included. Right? Well, there's a good article in the paper today, and I'd like to recount that to you. It begins as follows. An Ar- a University of Arkansas at Little Rock law professor, by the way, it's me, has filed a claim with the Arkansas State Claims Commission saying he was improperly denied a named professorship despite being the best qualified faculty member for the position. Robert Steinbeck said that his failure to receive the Arkansas Bar Foundation professorship, which comes with a $10,250 stipend annually for four years, was, quote, at least an abuse of discretion by the dean of the Bowen School of Law at the University of Arkansas. 
and he seeks a award of the $10,250. I left out a few intermediate words that not necessary. Biner, quote, did not employ the required donor selection criteria for the position and improperly adopted a series of her own created substantive criteria, including arbitrarily limiting the time period of accomplishments considered to five years, which obviously benefits candidates without a long history of accomplishments, according to the claim. Quote, name professorships are designed to reflect a career of accomplishments, which inevitably includes recent years, but are not designed to only consider recent accomplishments at the expense of also considering, end quote, the full records of candidates. Quote, Biner filled the one name professorship she advertised with an applicant who's been a member of the faculty since 1998 and was appointed associate dean for academic affairs in 2020, quote, who at minimum demonstrably and significantly didn't fulfill the requirements of the Arkansas Bar Foundation professorship as well as Steinbuck did, if she did at all, which does not appear to be the case, end quote, according to the claim. Quote, had the rules been properly applied, Steinbuck would have received the name professorship and the accompanying $10,250, which he seeks in damages, end quote. In his application for the Arkansas Bar Foundation professorship, which emphasizes excellence in teaching and in scholarship, in Arkansas law, as well as, quote, significant contributions to serving the bench, meaning judges, and bar, meaning lawyers, of Arkansas, end quote. Steinbuck cited qualifications such as receiving the Faculty Excellence Award in Public Service, being the only Fulbright Scholar in teaching on the faculty, routinely advising on and drafting legislation for state legislators, in litigating public interest lawsuits for free as a practicing attorney in Arkansas. He also practices in both state and federal court, chairs the Arkansas Advisory Committee to the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, and is a member of the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act Task Force, the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act Coalition, and the Arkansas Transparency and Government Group, among several other groups and organizations. Steinbuck, who joined the law faculty in 2005, also claims Biner unilaterally extended the name professorship she holds, called the Nadine Baum, Distinguished Professor of Law, for a fifth year. Name professorships in the law school are four-year terms for the holders, although the dean can extend them beyond four years if, quote, development activities generate sufficient additional name professorships, end quote, or if specific terms of a donor in creating a name professorship differ according to the complaint. Biner extending her own name professorship beyond four years violates not only the law school's stated rules, no new named professorships have been created recently, which is a condition for extending a name professorship beyond four years for the same holder, or indeed for anybody else. Oh, no, I guess it would be for the same holder, yeah. But a conflict of interest also, according to Steinbuck. Let me reread that because I give you a little commentary in the, min- in the middle. Biner extending her own named professorship beyond four years violates not only the law school's stated rules. No new named professorships have been created recently, which is a condition for extending a named professorship beyond four years for the same holder. But a conflict of interest also, according to Steinbuck. Also on his filing, Steinbuck 
said he's been being discriminated against because of his past conflicts with with his superiors regarding naming a name professorship after former President Bill Clinton, as well as Steinbeck's longstanding practice of having guest lecturers in his classes when he observes Jewish holidays. You might recall, folks, by the way, I'm stepping out of the article, that the issue with the professorship that was secretly and improperly named after Bill Clinton is that it was exactly that. It was secretly and properly named after Bill Clinton after having not had Bill Clinton's name attached to it for 20 years. I brought it to light, and it was reversed by the chancellor of the entire uh, UA Little Rock. Reversed. And a hearing was held, a joint hearing for the Arkansas Senate, uh, a committee for the Arkansas Senate and the Arkansas House. Back to the article. The claim will be reviewed by claims commission staff to determine whether it meets filing requirements. Then it goes into a bunch of procedure. So there's no need to talk about that. But I recommend the whole article to you. It's in the Democrat Gazette. Go take a look at that. Go maybe pull it now. We'll go on break. And we'll be back after these words. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. And I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave here on 101.1 FM. The answer. Folks, we've been talking about this article in the Democrat Gazette regarding essentially a lawsuit. It's, it's called a claim because uh, it's done in a different location. It's done in what's called the Claims Commission. If you sue the state uh, for money, you do that in the Claims Commission. If you sue it for injunctive relief, um, then you can sue them in court. Uh, and if you don't know what the latter is, don't worry about it. Uh, it's Incidentally, it's when rather than suing for money, you are suing for them to do something. You know, stop preventing people who are entitled to carry a gun in various facilities from doing so, for example. I talked this morning about that over at ASU. A fellow uh, went into ASU and they were having a business expo in, in some arena over there. So he went in there. He's got a enhanced concealed carry license and as most enhanced as most concealed carry licensees in general are enhanced or basic uh, they're ex- extremely law abiding so he went up to the security guard and said I just want to make sure I am carrying pursuant to my license I'm permitted to be here but do you have an issue with that? And the, the security guard called over to the, to the school police. They told him, no, you can't come in even with a license. And he correctly, you know what he did? He left. I mean, correctly in the sense that don't get into a fight with security guard. No, no, no. That's why I'm here. Don't get into a fight with security guard. Don't get into a fight with the police. Police tell you no. Take down their name. Be polite. Re- record what occurred, meaning write it down, but I, you could record it, by the way, on your phone as well. You could you know, videotape it on your phone if you want. And then contact me. Why? Because I go around the state, so far in central Arkansas, but I will go around the state, enforcing your gun rights. Enforcing your gun rights. Because here you have a fellow who enhanced who has an enhanced concealed carry license who wanted to carry in a place in which he's permitted to carry and he was wrongfully refused wrongfully refused 
And as you know, I've got cases in three different jurisdictions already dealing with this problem. I got one against Little Rock City Hall because they want to make up the law. They said, well, we can tell anybody we want not to come in to City Hall. It's our property. First of all, it's not their property. It's your property. And second of all, really? Can you tell an African-American he can't come in? Can you tell a Jew he can't come in because they are respectively African-American or Jewish? No, you can't. You're not allowed to discriminate. You're not allowed to discriminate. And not letting in someone with a gun discriminates against them in a different way, mind you. But in violation of the law, explicit violation of the law. Because the law says that you're allowed to bring a gun into City Hall if you have an enhanced concealed carry license. What about if you want to bring a gun in to the office at the Game and Fitch gun range? That's right, gun range. The folks in the office at the gun range carry their own guns in the gun range, by the way. I've since learned. So the only person inside the office of the gun range without a gun is you. And they claim that's legal. Same argument, essentially. Oh, no, no, we're not subject to the law. We set the law for ourselves. We're an independent branch of government. We're the Soviet Republic of Game and Fish. Can you believe that? This is supposed to be an entity within the state of Arkansas that supports hunters' rights, gun rights, the use, the safe use of guns, and you know what they tell you? Go leave your gun outside on the curb. We don't care. Just as long as you don't bring it in. They have racks outside to leave your gun unattended if you desire. That they think is safer than you walking into the Game and Fish office with your gun in your possession. I mean, that's just bizarre. Just bizarre. If I give an exam, for example, I generally would tell students, you know, put your book bags, etc. over, you know, in one area. Right, they shouldn't be shouldn't be stumbling over them in the class. I don't want people pulling little things out of their book bags, that kind of thing. I generally give those instructions. But if somebody said to me, "Oh, but I've got a gun license and the gun's in the bag," we would have to make some arrangement. I I would at least for the person to keep the bag or the gun in a different bag or some somehow that the gun's with them. Why? Because you don't want to leave a gun unattended, even if it's. 40 feet away from you. No, that's not a good idea. That's not a good idea. But the game and fish, it's okay because the gun's unattended outside of where the game and fish employees are. Everybody else, doesn't matter. Someone steals it, doesn't matter. Just as long as the game and fish folks don't have a gun inside the office. Well, the law says otherwise. Plain and simple. Third case... The law was changed several years ago. By the way, somewhat quietly. If you're not paying attention, things happen. And they expanded the the scope of who can carry a gun into the courthouse. And they added officers of the court. Everybody knows officers of the court includes attorneys. And the defense by Pulaski County is, that means police officers. Wait, what? Have you ever come up to a cop and say, excuse me, excuse me, officer of the court, I need to... What? No. What Of the court has no meaning for law enforcement officers 
because their term is police or law enforcement officer, not officer of the court. Delusional to equate those two. The county says, well, you know, officer of court encompasses more than just lawyers. Okay. You're not going to get an objection from me if that's the case. You're telling me more people who are legally entitled to carry guns can can carry so in, in the courthouse? That's fine by me. I think we're safer when law-abiding citizens carry guns because then they're able to respond to criminals. They say, well, how are you going to know if you're a lawyer? How are you gonna know? The court system itself issues an identification card, by the way. But you figure it out. The law says, how do you know when a cop comes in? They let law enforcement officers in with guns today. Well, how are you going to know as a law enforcement officer? Well, I presume you require some form of ID. Do you just look at the uniform? I can go out and buy a uniform, put some patches on it. Presume you have some form of ID check. Well, I've got an ID that says I'm a lawyer. Is that all you need? You, you know, it's this feigned ignorance. Oh, well, we could never figure it. Really? You can never figure it out? Because, by the way, only lawyers are allowed to represent clients before the court. You think the court just takes their word on it? When you file documents, you have to have an ID number. And that ID number can be cross-referenced, can be checked. You can't check that when I walk into the building? Of course you can. Of course you can. But all of a sudden... You know, it's like the caveman lawyer skit from Saturday Night Live. Ooh, it's so complicated. I'm just a simple caveman lawyer. I wouldn't know how to do that. Really? You wouldn't know how to do that? You wouldn't know how to figure out if someone's a lawyer. You think that's so tough? By the way, in Arkansas, you can get a list of every attorney licensed in Arkansas. You can just get a list. You can cross-reference a name. Take the list. Check the name with ID. Let him in. After these words, will continue. This is the Dave Ellswick Show, and I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave this Friday morning here on 101.1 FM. The answer. I understand we have a caller on the line, and it's Erica from Little Rock. Erica, what do you have for us? Hey, Robert. Thanks for taking my call. I um, just heard what you said about the, the gun range at Fish and Game and not being allowed to bring your weapons into the office and such. I recently, my husband took me shooting at that gun range, and I just thought it was ridiculous, too. So I brought that point up to my husband, and, you know, that it seems like if any place you could carry a gun, it would be at a gun range. And then he directed my attention to the tin roof above the firing line. It was like Swiss cheese with so many holes in it. Oh, yeah. So it's because there's so many inexperienced first-time gun users at ranges that it's they're dangerous until they're trained how to use the weapon hence holes in the roof straight above the firing line where they discharge weapons well erica guns are dangerous let me i'm going to let you in a little secret guns are dangerous uh, people get killed with guns. Uh, the fact is that if you have an enhanced concealed carry license, that means you've gone through two tests, two classes, paid hundreds of dollars. Then the state law says you're entitled to carry a gun in any government office. 
So there's a whole bunch of hurdles to get through. But the bottom line is guns are dangerous. And here's the thing. Oh, yeah. Here's the thing, Erica. All the guys inside the office are carrying guns. They're all carrying guns. And how are they carrying guns? Because they've got... Well, they, they're... Are trained. they smarter? Are they better? Is that what you're telling no, me? No, no. They're just experienced gun well, Wait a second. Where... If you've got an enhanced concealed carry license, you've gone through two classes, taken two tests, and demonstrated your proficiency. So you're telling me you know better than the state of Arkansas as to how proficient an enhanced concealed carry licensee is? No, if you have an enhanced concealed carry, you should be able to carry anywhere you want. Well, those are the I'm only ones I'm talking about. The issue. That's the only ones okay. I'm talking about. I'm not, you then need I an enhanced concealed issue. carry license to carry a gun inside a government office. But the gun range has a big sign that says no guns allowed for anyone, not for novices, not for the people you're concerned about, but for anyone. Why? Because unlike... The legislature, who has distinguished between novices, basic concealed carry licensees, and enhanced concealed carry licensees, Game and Fish decides that they're the Soviet Republic of Game and Fish, and they're going to decide who comes in. Their buddies, the people who work there, the bureaucrats, they can bring their guns inside the office, but if you have an enhanced concealed carry license, you can't. You can't. And I'll tell you this, my client, Chris Corbett, has never put a hole in a tin roof. Ever. Ever. Why? Because he's well-trained and he's safe. So we don't have a concern with those people. But the bottom line, and I appreciate Erica's call, we're going to let her go, um, is that this claim by various government officials, I've had, you know why I had this claim? I had this claim from the city of Little Rock. You know what the city of Little Rock said? Well, our employees are afraid if someone comes in with a gun license. You, your employees are afraid? Are, you, are your employees afraid when police come in? Because they got guns too. Oh, and they're authorized by the same government entity, the state, to carry a gun. So why is it when the police are authorized to carry, your employees aren't afraid? But when law-abiding citizens who have gone through two classes, taken two tests, and are trained in gun safety, come in the building, you're afraid. Moreover, I don't care. I'm going to let you in a little secret. I don't care if a government employee who's paid with my tax dollars is afraid of someone legally authorized to carry a gun. If you don't want to work there, go work at Walmart. Go work at... A private company, because private companies can decide for themselves whether or not they prohibit guns. I'm not saying, by the way, that Walmart prohibits guns. I don't think they do. I'm not sure. So I'm not. I'm just picking the name of a company. Let's let's change that because I don't want to pick on Walmart. I like Walmart. I really do. I shop at Walmart. Shop at Sam's. I shop at Costco too, by the way. But uh, you know, uh, Joe's Kitten Shop. Joe's anti-gun kitten shop can put up a sign that says no guns permitted in Joe's kitten shop. Okay, that's fine. I don't have to go to Joe's kitchen sh- kitten shop. But guess what? City hall? Public building? Yeah. Everybody has a right to go there and often has to go there to deal with business with the city because the city requires you to deal with them. And, that, and yet... They want to lock you out 
if you want to obey the law and carry a gun with an enhanced concealed carry license. This is the problem. All these people are making to me policy arguments. Well, I don't want this person with a gun in my building. My building? My building? Who made it your building? Since when do you own that building? The people of Arkansas own that building. And the people of Arkansas decide through their duly elected representatives who gets to carry what gun where. And the people of Arkansas decided that people with enhanced concealed carry licenses can carry guns in City Hall, can carry guns in the Game and Fish um, uh, um, office at the gun range, and lawyers can carry guns in the courthouses. The people of Arkansas decided that. Not some bureaucrat. You don't like it? I get that. By the way, that's, that's fine. You know, I work with a bunch of Democrats. No, that's okay. They're entitled to be Democrats. They are generally anti-gun. I'm sure they don't like any of these gun laws. I get that. They, they'll vote. They vote for the Democratic candidates. Democratic candidates don't want to extend gun rights. They want to restrict gun rights. But in a democracy, the elected officials are decided by a majority. And those elected officials enact the laws as long as they don't violate the Constitution. And certainly expanding gun rights don't violate the Constitution. The contrary is what potentially violates the the Constitution. So I'm just frustrated when I hear so often people conflate a policy argument with a legal argument. I get that you don't like it. I get that the left doesn't like laws that restrict abortion. I get that. But that you don't like it doesn't make it the law. We've all seen the Saturday morning cartoons. I'm just a bail until the bill becomes a law. And once it's a law, it's what controls. And if you say, I don't like that law, good for you. Go stand on a soapbox in the center of town square and shout it to the rooftops. That's an old metaphor. Meaning you're free to express your disapproval. What you're, free not, what you're not free to do, particularly if you're a government bureaucrat, or if you're a judge, is to make up the law based on your personal preferences. You're not free to do that. No. Yet that's what happens all the time. Government bureaucrats deciding you can't carry a gun in City Hall, you can't carry a gun in the office of Game and Fish, And you can't carry a gun um, if you're a lawyer in the courthouse. Erica pointed out, well, there are bullet holes in the tin roof at the gun range. At the, you know, at the gun range part, not in the office part. Well, doesn't that suggest that guns are dangerous? Maybe we shouldn't have a gun range. But of course we have a gun range so that people can become better trained. But guess what? There's risk involved. There's risk involved. I try not to go to the gun range, by the way, during the busiest of hours. One, because I don't like to wait. But two, because there's more risk involved. Yeah. Yeah. There were holes in there. I don't know. I don't think anybody's ever been shot at the gun range. So at the end of the day, even though that's a bad thing when someone has a shot in the roof, 
if no one if no one got shot personally, if an individual didn't get shot, well then ultimately the right outcome has been achieved. But Erica perhaps unintentionally reveals the real issue. And the real issue is that the bureaucrats decide that they get to live in their ivory towers, that they don't have to be subjected to guns from people walking into the office, but they can carry their own guns because what's good for thee is different than what's good for me, say the bureaucrats, say those in power. And I'm tired of those in power setting up a different set of rules for themselves than they have for everyone else and think that they own government. Bureaucrats don't own government. They work for us after they're hired by government that we put in place, that we elect. But too often, government bureaucrats set the rules because they're the ones there, right? Your state senator is not there operating and monitoring the gun range. But the bureaucrats are. And the bureaucrats make up rules, put up signs. No guns allowed. Chris Corbett and I, within one day, one day, had a no gun sign removed from the revenue office over there in Conway. We said, you got a no gun sign in your state office. What's your basis for that? You can't prohibit enhanced concealed carry licensees from carrying a gun in here. One day, and the sign came down. Now, you might not want people to carry guns in the revenue office. Well, elect a bunch of Democrats and maybe you can have your way. But until then, the law allows people with enhanced concealed carry license, some of the best trained people in in the state, by the way, to go into the revenue office with a gun. Speaking about training, by the way, there's Ed Monk uh, is uh, guest hosting the show. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about him in the last segment. Let's go to a break now, and we'll be back for the final segment. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave this Friday morning. This is the last segment of the Dave Ellswick, Ellswick Show for this whole week. Here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Folks, I only have a few more minutes. First, I'd like to thank everybody here at 101.1 FM, The Answer, for uh, and, and mainly Dave, of course, uh, or primarily at least uh, Dave, for giving me the honor of allowing me to uh, fill in for him during this day. I was telling you prior to the break that Ed Monk is going, I think he's going to fill in for Dave in a few days, actually. And Ed Monk is a firearms trainer. And what's interesting, I've heard from Ed and others, is that the best trained folks in firearms, safety and otherwise, are not law enforcement. Law enforcement are okay trained, don't get me wrong, uh, but they're not the best trained. Uh, The best trained folks uh, tend to be private individuals who are not in law enforcement. There are some, right? There are some law enforcement folks who get additional training and are exceedingly well-trained. But the best trained, on average, are not law enforcement. They folks with other lives doing other stuff, but have an interest in firearms. 
So when we talk about someone with an enhanced Keaton Seal carry license, and Ed Monk offers that course, he offers the basic course, and he, I think he offers it for $100 a course, which is very reasonable. The course is like six, four or six, I think six hours long. So uh, it's, it's a very reasonable rate. And they have a gun range. It's a, what's it called? Last resort gun training. And they have a gun range. And you can really learn good skills there. I'm not here to give them a commercial or not give them a commercial. But my point is that people with enhanced concealed carry licenses are overwhelmingly well-trained. Doesn't mean someone can't make an accident. Guns are dangerous. Guns are dangerous. You go to a gun range, you've increased your exposure to danger. Even if you're alone, by the way, and you're typically not, right? Just being at a gun range shooting a gun, you can have a ricochet. I was, I was with a friend. We went shooting, and I'm trying to remember who. I think he got hit in the head with a ricochet. Nothing solid, specially designed eye coverage glasses, basically for shooting. A little public service message, folks. If you're buying those $10 yellow plastic sunglasses, those are not sufficient. Those, they call them gun shooting glasses. They're not. They call them that because of the color. They're not safety glasses. You need veritable safety glasses, and they cost more money. Uh, but all you need is one accident because, as we've been discussing, guns are dangerous. So get yourself a real pair of shooting glasses uh, that meet, the ones I have meet the Army's standards. I forget what it's called, but you can Google that and find out the Army's standard for gun safety glasses. And then you can, the Army has a list and you can, you can get that list. And then I ordered a pair of glasses from that list. That's all I did. And mine have an insert for pres- prescription lenses, but of course, if you don't need prescription lenses, you don't need the insert. You can just wear the out- the, the goggle. It's not a goggle; it's like a wraparound pair of glasses. But yeah, guns are dangerous, absolutely. But people carry guns because they believe the the benefit outweighs the costs. You know, it's even more dangerous than the possibility of an accident, and they happen. Same thing with cars, right? Cars are dangerous. Cars are dangerous. Uh, roughly the same number of people die in car accidents every year as as they do in uh, from from guns. So cars are just as dangerous as guns. And interestingly, some two thirds of the gun deaths are suicide. And I tend not to count that the same way that I do murders and accidents. Because if someone's going to want to kill themselves, they're going to find a way. It's not the gun's fault. It's never the gun's fault, mind you, but it's not a reflection of the danger of the gun. If a person doesn't have access to a gun, they'll find another means to kill themselves. That's not someone wrongfully imposing their will on someone else, and it's not an accident. It's entirely intentional. So by that metric, with that consideration, cars are far more dangerous than guns. We lose almost as many people in car accidents every single year than we lost Americans in the entire Vietnam War. 
Think about that. The entire Vietnam War had roughly 50,000 deaths. We used to lose about 50,000 people per year in car accidents. It's been reduced largely due to the increased safety of cars to somewhere in the low 40,000s. So it's, a, it's a good benefit. That's a good you know, improvement, mind you. But roughly speaking, we lose almost the same number of folks, Americans, in car accidents every year that we lo- lost in the entire, entire Vietnam War. And mind you, and rightfully so, mind you, we list every person who died in the Vietnam War on a wall in Washington, D.C. Could you imagine doing that for people who die in car accidents every year? You wouldn't have enough room, right? You couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Every year, we lose over 40,000 people in car accidents. So cars are dangerous. So when I say guns are dangerous, I don't mean to hold them out as uniquely dangerous. They're dangerous. I remember having a conversation recently about so-called assault weapons. People say, well, you know, those, those guns are uh, they're more dangerous than hunting rifles. No, they're not. Well, they're not at all. The so-called assault rifles shoot a smaller bullet than a deer rifle. So in some respects, they're, quote, less dangerous, end quote. I put it in quotes for the following reason. Here's the thing. You know what a assault wef- weapon does, so-called assault weapon does to a human being? It's very effective at killing them. You know what a deer rifle does to a human being? It's very effective at killing them. They both kill human beings very well. The reason the assault weapon, so-called that it is, is less dangerous is only in the sense that it doesn't kill deer as well. But it kills humans pretty much just as well. So this whole distinction that people hear is largely nonsensical. Now, the deer rifle tends to weigh more, so if you're running around with it, I guess it's harder to run around with a deer rifle and kill people. And since a deer rifle uses a bigger bullet, that's why it can take down a deer. You can hold fewer bullets in the gun at one time. You've got to change the magazines. Takes about a second or two, but okay. But the rifle itself, from a stationary standpoint, they're of equal danger, essentially, to human beings as they are to deers. So, folks, my point is, and I'm going to wrap it up, is that we need to be informed before we start trying to make policy. And that's what Dave Ellswick Show tries to do every day here on 101. Point one FM, the answer. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. 
Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.